It's good to have you guys here today, and uh, today we're going to continue our series called Be the Body. Um, What I want to do today is talk to you about some practical ways that God can work in our lives and uh, share just a few things in my own life about how God has worked over the years. And the reason that we're, we're going to be covering today's topic is because I know there are a lot of frustrated Christians that are in the world, and maybe there are some here in this room today. And the frustration lies in the fact that we're not sure that God's at work in our lives. Is God really doing something in me? Is God active and alive around me? Does any of this stuff that we're doing when we come to church and we give our offerings, when we serve, and when we go out and tell people about Christ, and then those that look at us like we're crazy when we do that, is it worth it? Does it really matter that we do come together on Sundays, or could we be just as well served to go out and find a nice peaceful place out at the park or at Starbucks, which I don't know. I never find Starbucks peaceful. I don't know about you. I've never been there and felt peaceful at Starbucks. Uh, Maybe it's the caffeine makes me jittery. It could be the bean grinder that makes me want to pull my fingernails out. I don't know what it is, but I don't feel peaceful there, but some people do. Would we be just as well served if we just stayed home and watched somebody on TV or we just sat around the table and we talked about who God was to us? What does it really mean to know Christ and to follow him? You know, we talk about living a life of adventure with Jesus, and we talk about what does it mean to give our lives to him and to truly attempt great things for God. What does that look like, and what does that mean for us? When all too often the way that we feel is that we're not doing it right. Does anyone ever feel in your own faith like, I'm not doing it right? Anybody? Yeah, I do it all the time. I'm like, God... Why am I a pastor? This can't be right. You know, we often feel that way. Some of you say, well, I think about Mark. I think about that you often when I see you, but that's all right. What I want to talk to you about today is what does it mean to be empowered by the Holy Spirit? Because if there's one thing, one thing that makes the difference between a person who is alive and growing and excited about their faith and someone who is not, it is the Holy Spirit in their life. There is really no other indicator that God is truly doing something in you than your ability to comprehend and work with the Holy Spirit. Now, as we start off, one of the questions I just want to ask you is this, because this is a crucial understanding of what the Holy Spirit does. My question to you right now, and I want you to think about it just for a a few seconds, who guides you? Would you think about it? Who or what is most influential within your life? Who is it that when they say something, you often go, ah, yes. Who is it that when you watch them walk and you watch them live, you think, I need to do more of that? What is it that whenever you encounter this, Do you encounter it on a regular basis? Makes you question who you are yourself. And maybe there's something in you that needs to change. Who is it? Who guides you? What guides you? 
For a lot of us, there are lots of ways to answer that. And, and there's no one person or one entity or one thing for any of us. We all have multiple things within our lives that are guiding us. You may have a family member who is kind of the patriarch or the matriarch of the family, and they just exude wisdom. And so when they say something, you leave thinking, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. Maybe it's a pastor, a speaker, maybe it's an author that you often read or listen to and you think, man, that's just it. That's what I need. Who guides you? For many of us, we probably, if we were honest, would say, I guide myself. I make my own decisions. I weigh the costs and the consequences. I ask myself, is this really what I want? And and at the end of the day, I, I guide myself. Sometimes it's a friend. And you've known this person for a long time, and they just somehow, their life falls into place where your life doesn't seem to do that. And so maybe that friend becomes your guide. At times, maybe it's your children. You look at your children, and there are certainly times as parents that we often struggle to feel like we ourselves are good guides for our children. And sometimes our children teach us, well, we probably need to change something about the way we parent. What guides you? Is it your employer who tells you if you want to move up in the company and attain the level of happiness that you want to get out of this life, then this is what you have to do? Is it your employer? In our world, often it's a celebrity who tells us what we're supposed to think. I, I often, when if we go to a movie, and I'm a firm believer that we need to support medical organizations looking for cures, but I often wonder when they blast a whole bunch of celebrities across the screen, it would be nice with under their name, they would put how much they themselves donated to that cause. Wouldn't that be nice? Do they believe enough in this to actually give, or are they just getting paid to make this ad? Who guides us? When we come to the church, I've shared with you for the last few weeks, I Occasionally, some of my misgivings about the way that the church is handled in our nation and in our world, which is expected because it's made up of broken people that are imperfect. And if Jesus was here that was heading all of this up, which spiritually he should be, but if he literally physically was here dictating how we did this stuff, we wouldn't have a video that didn't have any audio showing, right? Because Jesus does it all right. Or would we have video at all? Who guides us? Who tells us what we're supposed to do? Here's what I know about who guides us, because I know there have been people in my life that have guided me, some in good ways, some in not so good ways. Those that we choose, because we choose who's going to guide us, those that we choose to guide us will determine where we end up. Wherever our guide takes us is where we're going to end up. It's not rocket science. If they say, this is the way to go, and I follow them, and I go this way, I'm going to end up wherever they want to take me. And the question inevitably becomes, of all the guides within my life, which ones or which one is trustworthy? Which one can I trust to take me where I should go, where I need to go, where I want to go? And that reality brings us to the truth that you and I have to choose a guide in which we're going to follow. Over the years at Journey, we've had the opportunity to just 
work with some, some people that are passionate about their faith, that God is on fire within their life, and they, are, they come right alongside and they just exude what God wants in every one of us. We also come across many that need the ministry of our church. They need the ministry of our church because they're struggling. They're not sure how they're going to get through a week. They've made some poor decisions, and those poor decisions and poor choices within their life have led them to a place of destruction, and they're not sure how to get out of that. One of the things, if you've chosen to invest in people who are struggling within life, one of the realities that we've learned and is a difficult reality for us to embrace and accept is the fact that if a person doesn't want to truly be helped, there's nothing you can do to actually help them person has to want to be helped. They have to want to be guided somewhere in a healthy place. And often what we find is no matter what kind of influence you give someone who is struggling, they are surrounded by a circle of friends that are leading them to stay stuck right where they are. And it doesn't matter how much wisdom and how much care and how much praying you do for them, they have chosen to give the power into a group of people that if they were honest and said, look at their life, is this who you want to be? They would say no, but yet their words pushed them to keep them right where they are. We see this over and over and over again within our world. And it's easy to talk about someone who's struggling with addiction or someone who's struggling with being honest within all of their work relationships, someone who's struggling because they feel they have to steal something to happen, someone who's struggling because they want to have inappropriate relationships with other people. It's easy to look at them and say, you know what, they're messed up, and that's just the way it is. If they knew Jesus, they wouldn't be that way. But the truth is, within the church, we do the very same thing often. We create a group within the church, and the group says, we want everything to be about this. And often, everyone else is shunned if they don't make it about that. In the different churches I've taken part in, I've seen different issues be the thing. And if you're not about my issue, if you're not going to agree with me, if you're not going to be just like me, then we can't really have a relationship. And so this happens in the church, and often we give people control that are not being guided by who is truly trustworthy. So what does it look like if we are going to be followers of Jesus? What does it look like to have a guide that takes us where we need to go? What does it look like in this room we have? I'm guessing we have 80, 90 people in this room right now. What does it look like if God is speaking to each individual person in this room and he has something to say to you individually, but yet no one else in the room knows what God is telling you? How do we come together as the body of Christ to be the body if we're going in 90 different directions? Now, in a minute, I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I do believe God often takes us in 90 different directions on purpose. But there's always a purpose. What does it look like when a group of people come together And we each have different guides pulling us in a direction. And then we, as a group, are trying to go the same place. It's like an incredible three-legged race with 90 people. What if we all were bound together and we had to go in one direction? Would we like each other at the end of that race? Probably not. There'd probably be some frustration. And there'd be some people saying we need to go this way and some people need to go that way. And, you know, you got your foot in the wrong place and you're moving your leg the wrong way. It's tough to be the body 
when we have a lot of different guides that at the end of the day may not be trustworthy. So who guides us? Who guides you? As you look at the people that guide you, do you really want your life to emulate theirs perfectly? Are they the ideal for what it looks like to live your life as we go through this world? What I hope you have already expected and what I want to share with you for the rest of this morning is that we cannot be the body if we are not led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is impossible. It doesn't matter how organized we are. It doesn't matter how many committees or teams we have. It doesn't matter what kind of leadership we, we offer. It doesn't, none of that matters if we are not empowered and led by the Holy Spirit. That is the one and only thing that can determine whether a faith community is going to be the body of Christ in this world. Now this week, some of you are very excited about a change of power in Washington. Some of you are very upset about a change of power in Washington. And I want you to know that no matter what happens in any capital, in any nation of the world, it is not just a good old saying, they do not rule the heavens. And so whether you are excited this morning or whether you are terrified this morning, we have a God who has offered to guide us through the complexities of this world. And if we will follow him, we will navigate these and God will be glorified as a result. And people who were dying will find life. And you will find that you are on the adventure of a lifetime. We're going to be looking in Acts for most of today. I want to begin with Acts chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. We think that Acts, for the most part, was written by Luke, and it is just an extension of the Gospel of Luke, where he really details a lot of what happened in the early church and, and, and how it developed. The reason I want to read through these passages, I want you to remember that at the time that we're going to read, Jesus has left the disciples. I don't mean he died. He's already come back. He spent time with them. For several weeks, he was with the disciples, teaching and encouraging, showing them his wounds to bolden their faith. And then he leaves and says, okay, I'll be back. But until then, you are going to be my representation in this world. Now, you could imagine there was some fear. There was some anxiety. There was a lot of looking around at each other. What, how are we going to do this? And this is where we pick up Acts chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until that day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, to be apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after this suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. As we look through these stories, what we find and as we look through what Jesus prepared them for is that you were never meant, you were never meant to live for him by yourself. Many of us feel like we have to do it. 
Some of us grew up in frustrating religious experiences, and we decided we're going to just do away with all of that, and we're going to find what's real and true ourselves. And so I'm just going to do this myself. But you were never meant to do that. That's why the, the idea of the body is so crucial, is because if we are going to be the body, we have to recognize I can't do this by myself. But if we have 90 people in a room all going in different directions because of different priorities, then we're going to end up going nowhere and we're not going to be able to be the body. So as we do this, are you someone that believes and experiences the work of the Holy Spirit within your life? Jesus never expected you to do this by yourself. The Holy Spirit was never meant to be the thing that says it's me and you, it's just the two of us. We're going to take on the world together. It was never meant to be that way. But instead, Jesus says, you are going to have help. If we jump to John chapter 14, Jesus describes this a little more specifically. He says, if you love me, and this is so crucial, listen to this. If you love me, you will do what? Keep my commandments. Not sing at the top of your lungs. Not show up and serve more than anybody else. Not go around with the Jesus bumper sticker and the Jesus fish on the side and the Jesus is my co-pilot hanging off of your rearview mirror and the Lord's Jim t-shirt that you're wearing with your Starbucks that you've written Christmas on as you go to Chick-fil-A to eat your lunch because God glorifies those who eat chicken from Chick-fil-A. If you love me, you will do what? Is it possible to wear a Lord's Gym shirt? I know you all don't even know what that is, do you? When I was a teenager, we were bad when we wore that, man. Gold's Gym, a Lord's Gym right here, baby. Yeah, yeah. No one else thought that way, just those who were wearing them. But it was cool for us. Is it possible to do that? Is it possible to put the bumper sticker on the back? Is it possible to walk around with Chick-fil-A and you've written a cross on your chicken sandwich bag to show that you leave Jesus? Is it possible to do that and not know him? Yes, it is. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. For he dwells with you, and I will be in you. You know, it's tough when the leader of an organization leaves. Ask any Apple product owner anywhere right now. Our phones don't work as well. Our computers don't work as well. And we wish that Steve Jobs was still the head of Apple. Amen? Okay, there's a bunch of Android users in here. All right. Good for you. When the leader's gone, we struggle. The disciples left everything they had. They left all of their nets. They left their boats. They left their incomes. They left their families. All for the promise and the call that Jesus said, Come and follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come and leave this world that you were attached to. Follow me. I will open your eyes, and you will change the world. Leave all that behind. How many of us would be willing to do that right now? 
to leave your jobs and your family, to leave your homes and your friends, to leave all that's comfortable and around you, to say, Jesus is calling me to go with him. I am going. Only as soon as you set off on that journey, a short time later, he leaves. And you're left. Having left all those things, and the leader's gone. See, that was never Jesus' intention. And he began teaching the disciples early and preparing them, even though they didn't quite understand until later. They didn't quite understand what he meant when he said, I am going to leave, but you do not have to do this on your own. Instead, I'm going to send you another helper like me, the Holy Spirit that will live within you. He dwells with you and will be in you, Jesus says. So when we struggle to ask ourselves, is God real? Can God help me in this mess that I'm in? Can God move me beyond where I've been living my life, my background, my family history? Can I become anything more? If we don't have the Holy Spirit, the answer is no. And so it is crucial that we have to understand what does it mean to be the body and to be led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus never expected you to live for him by yourself. But what I know to be true and what you know to be true is this, that trying to follow Jesus without the Holy Spirit is absolutely worthless religion. It doesn't matter how many times we come to church. It doesn't matter how many bumper stickers we have. It doesn't matter how many chapters of the Bible we read. Without a true relationship with Christ, that is worthless religion. And it leaves us empty and it leaves us wanting. So how do we get more? How do we experience what he wanted? How do we find what he's wanting to do within our lives? Some of the ways that we let the Holy Spirit work in our life, and then we're going to pick up in a, a little bit later in Acts. One of the ways that we let him work in our lives is that we have to have a true and an authentic cry out for Jesus to be our Savior. There is no way around this. There is no, I'm adding God to my life. There is no, well, in case this whole talk about hell is real, I think I better take care of this. There has to be a true, authentic cry out for him to be our Savior. A recognition that I am broken and I am less than. God is real. He exists. And Jesus came to take my sins from me. There has to be a cry out in submission and obedience to say, I am not the center of the world. God is the center of the world. And I need Christ. Without this, we never come to the realization that God is everything and anything we can have has to come from him. So you cannot have the Holy Spirit active in your life if you have not come to this place. A good question to ask yourself if you're, asking, you're thinking, well, I think I'm here, but I'm not sure. How often do you repent before God now? You see, if we do not repent often before God, we do not truly believe we are broken and in need of him as a savior. That does not mean that you have to sit around and say, God, I am such a terrible person all the time. But you do recognize where we fail, and that messes up our relationship with him. We have to have a true and authentic cry, a place of submission to say, I need you. Another thing we have to do to let the Holy Spirit work in our life is that we have to recognize who God is and who is not. Who is God? It does truly trouble me, and it troubles me every time we have an election. 
it troubles me when our faith leaders talk so much about how God is going to save our nation through an individual. And it bothers me because he's already done that through one individual, through Jesus Christ. As if God is not able to influence this world apart from whoever's being elected. We've got to recognize who God is and who God is not. I've seen meme after meme after meme in these last few weeks about how our new president is our Savior from Christians. And I think, he's not my Savior. Praise the Lord for that. Now, he's my president, but he's not my Savior. There's one person that is my Savior. Who is God and who is not? And I will tell you, most of the time, it is not who's president that bothers us. Most of the time, the God who bothers us is ourselves. He is God and I am not. Now, the reason that I say it's us is because we will, we will try to rationalize, we will try to reason, we will try to figure out how we can get God to do the things we want him to do. We speak to God, but we don't ask to hear from God. And we let him know, God, if, I, if you're going to work things out, this is the way they ought to work out and it'll be better for everybody. I'm going to recognize that he is God and I am not. When we recognize that, it's not just simply saying God is God. What it says within our hearts is, I submit to you. I submit to you. Submission is so crucial to know Christ and to be excited about what we are doing. When we get out of our own way, we give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to lead us. A third thing, we have to say yes to God more often, even if that means we have to say no to ourselves. Now, this is when we come back and we see Where if we love Jesus, we will do what? Obey his commandments. We've got to say yes to him. Which often means saying no to ourselves. If that were not the case, if saying yes to God meant saying yes to ourselves all the time, would we really need God? Is there any real need to be born again? Is there any real need to be made new? If we already agree with God on what we want to do and what's best. You know, so if God doesn't ever challenge us to say, I need to change what my priorities are. I need to change how I spend my time. I need to change the programming I put on my TV that I absorb on a regular basis. I need to change. That's not good for me. If God doesn't ever tell us those things, is it possible we don't see that God has anything valid to offer us? We've already figured it out ourselves. We figure it out ourselves. We don't need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So what we need more of is to say yes to God and to say no to ourselves. As a Christian, I, I, will, I will be very honest with you. I do not know how to be a super spiritual Christian. I do not know how to do it. Other people do. And it's very evident in the way that they talk. And I don't mean that to, and I'm not trying to like be sarcastic. I mean, what you see with me is what you get. Ask my kids. I, I am probably, um, I may be better at home than I am here, although some days I'm not. I don't know how to be a super spiritual Christian. Throughout my life, I, I became a Christian, I don't even remember how many years ago it's been. I was, I think, 15, so 29 years ago. That was a long time ago. 29 years ago. I don't feel more spiritual today than I did then. I really don't. Because I recognize anything that's spiritual within me comes from God himself. It's not me. 
But what I've learned is that I have to follow his instructions step by step every single day. And as much as I want to pray through things and I want to proclaim and prophesy through stuff and I want to just tell God what we're going to do, the only way I know how to live this life following Jesus is figuring out what he says is true and then bending my life to fit that every single step. I don't do it every single step. There are times that I do it really well and I am just penitent before God and I am reading his word and I am hearing from him in my times of prayer and, it, and, and I am responding. And there are other times that I say, yeah, 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 God, we can't talk about that today. I don't want to deal with that right now. You all ever pray that way? Thanks, Herman. Me and you, buddy. That's it. The only one's in the room. God, I can't, I can't deal with this right now. I read through Scripture, and I'd be like, oh, man. I should not have done that yesterday. I do that all the time. I do. I think I get better because I remember more than I read. I don't know any other way than to say, God, I am just, I'm going to obey and what I know to obey. And here's the wonderful thing about following Jesus in this way. God has never asked me, okay, then do everything right right now. He's never asked me that. If I'm struggling with something in my life, God has never said, I just want you to stop struggling with that. He's never said that to me, and I've never seen anywhere in Scripture where he says that. But instead, what ends up happening is I find something in Scripture, and it says, this is the way a follower of Jesus lives. I'm not doing that. I need to do that. For some of you, that first step may simply be cracking the Bible regularly during the week and reading through it. God's not asking you to go out there and be a superstar Christian. He's asking you to crack the Bible and read it. And then when we read it, that we not just be hearers, but that we be doers of that word. And here's what happens for anybody who decides to take this track of just saying, I am not some super spiritual, super fantastic person. I am just trying to follow what God has said. As you take a step and say, God, this is what you have said for me to do to obey, and I obey. There is a wealth of encouragement that comes over me. The Holy Spirit saying, good job. Scripture tells us that when you become a Christian and you give your life to him and you submit your life before Christ and you become a follower of his, that the heavens erupt in worship. That the angels cry out for every soul that says, I need Jesus. And there is an incredible celebration in heaven every single time. I believe for every Christian that is seeking after Christ and they take a step of obedience, especially those that were hard, that celebration not only happens in heaven, but we experience it within our hearts. It's the same kind of way that when you parent your children, you can't just tell them what not to do. You've got to encourage them when they do the right things right. There's something about encouragement that leads us to want to do it again. And I have found that in my life, I fail way more often than I succeed. But when I do succeed, I am encouraged and it makes me want to succeed again. I know of no other way to live a life with Christ. To put it more practically, if you're struggling within your marriage and you're fighting all the time, And you're praying, God, please just heal our marriage. But you are not reading in Scripture that you need to address your conflicts immediately with prayer and with God. If you are not reading that and then struggling to look at your spouse and say, 
we need to pray about this. And I would go so far as to say, it doesn't matter how much you pray for God to heal your marriage, He'll never do anything in your marriage. Because He has said, before the sun goes down, deal with your conflict. Now, I'm going to tell you straight up, when Deidre and I have a serious conflict, I'm fine for the sun to go down. I may be fine for it to go down a couple of times before I deal with it. And at times, I have to go, God, i got to deal with this. Okay, let's deal with this. Never done that and been sorry. Never been sorry. As we look at our marriage, the reason that we are still so happy to be together, I'm speaking for myself, I, I think I'm speaking for her too, you have to ask her, so happy to be together is because we have chosen, we have chosen that we are going to live out what God has said within our marriage. Not perfectly, but when he says, this is, how you, this is how you do marriage, then we try to do that. And we're encouraged. And it gets easier and it gets better. If you're struggling and you really don't know what God wants you to do, and right now you've got a decision to make and you have no idea how you're supposed to go, am I supposed to take this job? Am I not? Am I supposed to stay with this person? Am I not? Am I supposed to live this life or am I not? What am I supposed to do? And you are struggling if you will simply open God's Word and begin to read. And if He tells you to do something that has nothing to do with that problem, just do whatever you've read, you will find God will bring you to the solution for your problem. God's looking for those who love Him to obey Him, and the Holy Spirit works within them. If you're someone who struggles with addiction... And you struggle because if you know anyone who does, whether it be addiction to alcohol, whether it be addiction to video games, which is a growing thing, addiction to gambling, addiction to drugs, addiction to prescriptions. If you're struggling with addiction and you think, I need to be out telling people about Jesus. God is not happy with me because I'm not showing people how to live like Jesus. You know what Jesus wants you to do? He wants you to not take the next hit of whatever you're addicted to. And if you don't tell anybody about Jesus that day, if you obey him and don't take that hit, or if you, don't, if you make that call to a physician that can help you deal with this, or you reach out to a counselor that can walk you through how to get out of this addiction, if you will take that step, you will be encouraged because you said no to yourself and you said yes to following him. Now, you may not be out preaching this huge, elaborate sermon on the street and have thousands of people coming to Christ because for some reason when we're struggling in life, we put these big, grandiose ideas about what it's supposed to be a, a, a true Christian up on this pedestal. I'll never get there, so I just give up. If you'll remember, Jesus groomed Peter, didn't he? He groomed him to be the leader of this thing when he was gone. And what did Peter do as soon as Jesus was arrested? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. If God really expected you to put this big grandiose thing and say, you know, you're nothing until you reach that, then he never would have restored Peter. But that's not how God works. Sometimes we show our love simply by obeying the very next thing. The next thing. Oh, I, need to, I need to read Scripture. Oh, Scripture says I need to be kind. Are my Facebook posts kind? I need to change how I post on Facebook. Wealth of encouragement comes on. Holy Spirit says, yes, I want more of that. 
And once you begin to have those experiences, you begin to realize that God is active within your life and you need and want more. There's a reason that the apostles were willing to go to their graves in horrible deaths, still proclaiming Jesus Christ, because those horrible deaths could never take away the glory that they had experienced in walking with Christ. And they took it a step at a time. Peter, I really love Peter, because I see myself in Peter, not the great leader. I see myself in Peter as the great screw-up, because Peter kept screwing up. Even after Jesus restored him, follow his conversations with Paul, you will find they were not always friendly, because Peter was regularly screwing up, and yet God used him. God's not looking for perfection. The Holy Spirit does not work in in perfect people. The Holy Spirit helps to perfect imperfect people. And so when he begins to work in us, it changes us. We must say yes to God more often, even if that means we say no to ourselves. A fourth thing, we have to let God lead the body. This is one, another one of my issues. I, I've literally been in church ministry now. I don't know how many years that has been. It's been a lot long. It's been a while. 26 years. I've been in church ministry now. You're supposed to clap and throw me a party for that, by the way. I'm kidding. No, come on. No, I just... And in those 26 years, I have done way more wrong than I have done right. I came in to church ministry when I graduated seminary having all the answers. Because everyone who graduates college has all the answers, right? It only takes the first 22 years of your life, and then all of a sudden you have the whole world figured out, right? And I found I probably broke as many things as I fixed, but I believe that my education empowered me to change the world. And I found that that doesn't work that way. Because if the Holy Spirit's not active, nothing changes. It's all about the Holy Spirit. We have to let God lead the body. Letting God lead the body means that we are passionate about different areas within the church. You know, I said, we've got 90-whatever people in here. And if God is speaking to each one of us, oftentimes we have 90 people going in 90 different directions. Most of the time that's a bad thing, but it's not always a bad thing. I don't want every one of my body parts moving in the same direction at the same time. Things would look kind of silly. What would it look like within my house if every one of us, we have six people in our house, what if every one of us did every single task together? Wouldn't that be enjoyable? Let's all go scrub the toilet together. Six brushes in the toilet trying to clean it out. Wouldn't that that be productive? Hey, let's all go vacuum the room together. Hey, get your vacuum out of the way. You know, what, what would happen if we all tried to make a bed together? You're doing it wrong, right? Instead, when it's time to clean the house, we each have our designations and we go do our part. And the whole of our work together creates a good product. Within the church, God may be telling you something that is not identical to someone else, yet he leads in a constant direction. And so often what happens within the church, when you are hearing from the Holy Spirit, you end up getting passionate about your area of ministry. Kids' ministry is the only ministry that matters. Ladies' ministry is the only ministry that matters. 
Oh yeah, well if you're not leading people to Jesus and going out and knocking on doors, you don't even know Christ. Well, if you're doing that all in America where everybody knows Jesus, you ought to be a missionary going out to places where they don't know anything about him. That's the only way to do ministry. The reality is that God gives us all different passions to work towards a common goal. But we have different roles. So it is possible for you to be passionate about your area of ministry, for that to be a God-given passion within you, and yet someone beside you is not passionate as you are. And rather than looking at them and say, what? Don't you know Jesus? We recognize they are passionate about something else by the work of the Holy Spirit within their life. And so we work together to accomplish a goal together because the Holy Spirit is more capable than us of multitasking. And so he can push us into the directions that we need to go. Ephesians 4, 4 through 7 says, There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, it may not be identical in every person who is passionate about Jesus Christ. And so we look around the room and we go, man, they're really passionate about reaching out for those who have little. They're really passionate to reaching out to those who have kids. They're really passionate to reaching out to those who have no one to help them live their lives. They're really passionate about those people whose lives are falling apart. They're really passionate about worship and about prayer. They're really passionate about building the facilities to reach more people outside of the room. In the first church I pastored, we had a couple of men, and they just, landscaping was their thing. They believed that a person couldn't come to know Christ unless it was in a church with good landscaping. It was impossible. And so every workday had to do with building up the landscaping. And we laugh about that, and we would theologically say, landscaping has no role in a person knowing Christ, right? It would be easy to look at these men and say, you know what? These guys just don't get it. I mean, all they care about is their building. But in truth, what ends up happening when you begin to reach out in your community, if you don't take care of your stuff, they don't believe you'll ever be able to help them take care of their lives. And so if all we did was take care of landscaping, I've never known a person who said, you know what, I was lost and without Christ, and I, they trimmed the hedges, and I, I became sold out to him. It was awesome. I've never heard that. But I've heard plenty of people say, man, they can't even keep their stuff together. There's no way I'm, they don't, there's no way I'm going over there. See, the body works together in so many different ways. God moves people and gives them passions. And whether, instead of us saying every person needs to be identical, every person needs to do the exact same thing, we need to see how is God empowering you? How is God giving you a passion for his ministry? And then how does it fit everywhere else? That's how God works. Let God be God. In Acts chapter 2, I want to I give you this, and this is really where I've been trying to get for the last few minutes. So I'm about a third of the way through this morning. No, I'm going to move quickly. Acts chapter 2, I just want to give you a practical way that this lived out in the lives of the, the apostles. 
How are they empowered by the Holy Spirit? And what does he still promise you today? Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, they come, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Do you remember, we read back in Acts chapter 1, what did he tell them to do? I'm going to make you think. What did he tell them to do back in Acts chapter 1? Stay here. Stay together. Something's coming. Stay here. We come down to Acts chapter 2, and when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. What did they do? They obeyed. They obeyed. None of the rest would have happened had they not obeyed. What do you mean we got to stay? These people want to kill us. Just stay, hang out, just wait. It's going to be okay. They obeyed. It seemed like probably a small thing to them. Just like the thing God's telling you right now may seem like a small thing to you, but obedience unlocks the power of the Holy Spirit. The disciples obeyed the instructions of Jesus, even though they were afraid. Verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in the tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit invaded them. And this was this incredible imagery of these tongues of fire coming on each one of them. And while I have never seen that happen, I have seen the results of the Holy Spirit invading a person's life today. The Holy Spirit supernaturally changes those who truly know Christ. He supernaturally changes them. He does something that they cannot do just as the Holy Spirit gave them these abilities to utter things through Him. Verse 5, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya. Lots of different places. Belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God, something they would never have done on their own. The Holy Spirit supernaturally changed them and did this within their life. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said they are filled with new wine. They're drunk. They're drunk. They're not talking our language. They're drunk. They're crazy. I want you to know that an unrepentant world will probably reject the work of the Holy Spirit in your life if you choose this path. The world is not going to go, good job, Mark. I can see the Holy Spirit being active in you. That's not the way the world works. That's the way the body works. That's not the way the rest of the world works. An unrepentant world will probably reject the work and therefore you when the Holy Spirit begins to work in you. But the Holy Spirit also will always move you to positively influence those around you. Always. The Holy Spirit means to make things better for others. In the next few verses... If you read on through chapter 2, you're going to find that Peter gives an incredible sermon. And it's the gospel spread out to people that had never heard it and had no clue what in the world he was talking about. The Holy Spirit had taken them from being together and afraid, but being obedient. And he empowered them, and then he sent them out, and then they started doing supernatural things to share who God was. We jump down to Acts chapter 2, verse 40. This was the, result, the immediate result of those few hours. 
It says, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That all happened, and it began with this. Guys, stay here. Don't go anywhere. That's what it started with. Where does your thing start with? What is the Holy Spirit going to unlock in you when you begin to obey and take these steps? What is he already putting in place, putting in motion, that he's going to come and supernaturally empower this incredible thing within your life when we just take that first step? If we do, I want to read you these things, then I'm going to close. How the Holy Spirit impacts us. These are some of the things you can expect. This is how the Holy Spirit impacts us if we let him. Number one, he'll share wisdom beyond your human understanding and reasoning. You will begin to understand things that you never would have before. You will see choices that you never saw before. And you will make decisions you never would have made. But having made them, you will be thankful that God showed you how to make that decision. Jeremiah 33, 3 says, Call to me, I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He tells us things that we never would have known apart from him. Second thing the Holy Spirit will do is he will empower you just as we saw with the apostles. He will empower you beyond your natural abilities. We often refer to these as spiritual gifts. He will empower you beyond it to change the world around you. Now, you may not end up like Billy Graham, an icon, a modern icon throughout the world, but you will change the world around you. Zechariah 4, 6. It's a favorite book for many in this room, I'm sure. You all read Zechariah. Probably have most of it memorized by now. It says, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by my might nor by my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. It's always been about his spirit working among us. Always. A third thing. And this is what drives me. It compels me to keep moving. It's what moved me to finally give up all the other things I wanted to do with my life and say, I will pursue a life of ministry. Whenever we obey, he will encourage us. Whenever God encourages us, we want more of it because there's nothing quite like it in the world. There's no one else that can quite encourage you like a God saying, well done. Good job. I'm proud of you. You are my son. You are my daughter. I'm so proud of you. There's nothing that compares to that. And even when those steps of obedience mean that they have to close other doors that we wanted to stay open, we see that there is something better. A third thing. Or fourth thing, excuse me, John 14, I'm getting lost in my notes here. Number three was be encouraging us when we obey. John 14, 15 through 17 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. We read this earlier. And I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. And the spirit of truth from the world cannot receive, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He encourages you to stay faithful. A fourth thing that he does, he helps us when we feel lost. I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. My life's falling apart. I don't know. I, God, what am I supposed to I'm, I've lost my job. 
How am I going to provide for my family? My, my kids, I told them to stay away from drugs, but they didn't. And I'm watching their lives fall apart. I'm watching those that I love, and it's just not working out for them. It's easy to feel lost in this world. And the Holy Spirit is there when we feel lost to give us structure and to ground us and to give us a foundation for us to deal with what's happening. And as the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us when we feel lost, He begins to open up the doors so that we can walk with Him and find the right solution. Number five, the last one I want to share with you, although there could be so many more. The Holy Spirit impacts us if we let Him by compensating for our weaknesses. Praise the Lord for that. Many of us have weaknesses in this room. Few of us admit it. But He helps us in our weaknesses. Romans 8, 26-28 says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself excuse me, intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, and who are those that love God? What do they do that we read earlier? Obey His commandments. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. See, following the Holy Spirit is not rocket science. The Holy Spirit being alive within you is not rocket science. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to live a perfect life. But we do have to obey. We do have to take that step. And us, if we're going to be the body, there is no body of Christ without the work of the Holy Spirit in it. We can be a religious organization. We can be a club. We can be a clique. We can have fun together. We can live our lives together. But we are not the body of Christ if the Holy Spirit is not active within us. That is the only way, the only way that we can follow Him. And the only way to be His body is to follow His instructions, to follow His Word, and to follow where the Holy Spirit leads us. I'm so thankful for many of you that are such wonderful testimonies of that. On the days that I do feel like, man, I'm just I'm messing everything up today, you encourage me. I know many in this room have invested in others whose lives are falling apart, and I know you're tired. I know you're exhausted. I know you have wanted and prayed, and you have helped, and you've done everything you could to help whoever, and it is not working out. I see that. I feel it with you. But I want you to know it is not by your might nor by your power, but it is by His Spirit and their willingness to submit to it that their lives will ever be changed. We will encourage to that direction and to that end. If I leave you with anything, I'm going to leave you with what I remind myself on a regular basis and what has been the key to my own faith with Christ is just keep taking steps of obedience and watch as God brings you and as a result, the church around you to life. That will happen. It will happen. Let me pray with you, and then we're going to close with, with one more song. Father, God, I thank you that you did not expect for us to do this all on our own. 
I thank you that we did not have to somehow fill out a list of all the things that we were going to do to prove our love to you. We did not have to prove our righteousness to you through our own actions, but instead you have forgiven us through the blood of Jesus Christ. I thank you that even though we still fail, you have given us the opportunity to know you and to be made into a new creation through the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray as the body of Christ here at Journey, I pray that we would be a people that hear your voice and follow it. We would be encouraged by knowing that we are being faithful to you and to your teachings. Father, I pray for those in this room, and they are so tired. They have been praying for you to do something magnificent in their life or someone else's life. But I pray right now that you would cut through all of that and simply give them the next step for them to take, that they would walk in obedience in that step. Father, as we do this and as we seek you and as we desire to follow you, I pray that your spirit would be alive and whole in this place that you would work within our hearts and within our lives, that we would see the different passions that exist among the people in this room, that you would give us tools in which we can go out and explore what does it mean to fully live out the passion for ministry that you've given us. I pray that you would allow us to build relationships with those who are struggling today, and they need to find someone who has seen the living God through Jesus Christ to take the blinders off their eyes that they can experience true life. Help us not only to do that as a body, help us to be that. Help us to be that for each other. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.